real quick, guys, I, I tell you, I'm kind of addicted to this thing. I'm just going to scroll through my Facebook feed uh, real fast. You guys mind if I do that? Is that okay? Is that weird? I don't know. Well, what about this? What about I let you see what I see? You know, we installed some technology here. I think you guys can kind of see it up there. Let me see kind of. Oh, ch check this out, man. Look at these guys on the bikes right here. Isn't that kind of cool? Uh, yeah, they're taking up all the parking spots in the city. You got to kind of hate that here. Mellow, of course, and and uh, the pizza. Oh, man, I'm getting hungry just looking at that right there. And look at these cute kids. Why can't my kids look that cute, man? It just smell like a bunch of fart bombs went off. You know, these kids are so darn cute. Look at that. Posed perfectly for the photo there. And I'm so jealous of that, aren't you guys? I'll just keep looking through my feed. And Nickelodeon? Nickelodeon Universe? Man, that looks expensive to look at. I don't know about you guys. I don't think I could afford to go there, man. I don't know. That looks, I wish I could go. Anybody want to go over there? It's kind of cool. Let me just keep scrolling through here. It's cool. Fortnite, my favorite. No way. No way. They're in Italy. Italy. They spend the holidays in Italy? Oh, I wish I could be in Italy. It looks like they're having so Well, they're a little cold, it looks like. But, man, it looks like they're having so much fun. I'm so jealous. I wish I could be in Italy for the holidays. It's crazy, man. Oh, gosh. No way. First of all, who doesn't want a robot that could vacuum for you? And that dog, look at its butt. It's so cute. Oh, my goodness. It's the most adorable thing. I want that dog. And right now, I'm dog-sitting my sister's dog, and she's driving me nuts. That dog looks adorable. Oh, my gosh. Oh, let me see. I, 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 I promise I'll quit it pretty soon. Look at my dad. My dad, in a t-shirt and shorts, on a patio in Puerto Rico, rubbing in our faces, right? He's playing sorry. Yeah, not sorry, dad. Great. Thank you for showing us that. You know, all right, let me just put this away, guys, because I, I get so caught up. I'm so addicted at looking at what everybody else has and just wanting it, right? You know, guys, it, it can be so easy to look at everyone else's highlights on social media and then compare yourself, right? It's really dangerous, actually, because at your fingertips, at any given time, you have access to everyone's highlight reels with no particular context as to what it took to get them there. You see a trip to Paris? Oh, look at me having a nice trip, um, a nice lunch, a brunch outside in Paris, right? Oh, look at the tower, the leaning pizza, whatever, behind me. Look at this. But then you don't see the hard work it took to save up. To get there, you don't see the long lines at the airport that comes with traveling during the holidays. You see the cute baby pictures with the perfect little smiles and the perfect little poses, but you didn't see all the yelling and the screaming that it took to take that picture. And you definitely don't see the smelly diaper that the mom so strategically cropped out of the picture, right? That's in the background. You don't see that. And in comparison, it can be so easy to look at what you have and compare it with someone else, with what someone else has. And allow, to allow that to determine how you feel. Isn't that easy to do? In fact, if you're taking notes, you can write this down where it says number one, where comparison begins, contentment ends. Where comparison begins, contentment ends. Think about that statement for a second. Where comparison begins, contentment ends. Contentment is an attitude of appreciation for what you have. With contentment, you can be happy for someone else without desiring what they have or without any sort of envy in your heart. But comparison murders contentment. You can say comparison eats contentment for lunch because where comparison begins, contentment ends. Another way you can say it is that where comparison begins, discontentment grows. 
when we're constantly comparing ourselves to others, it can be very easy to grow discontent with what we have or where we are in life or whatever. Have you ever seen this to be true in your own life? I know that for me personally, I've gotten into many conversations with folks who have made rash, radical rash life decisions based on comparing their current circumstances to someone else, only to immediately regret it because the grass always looks greener on the other side until you cross the fence. As we continue to dig into this topic, we're going to look at a couple different passages from the Bible. One is penned by the Apostle Paul in his second letter to the, church in, the churches in, Corinthians, in, in Corinth. And in talking about some who were comparing uh, themselves to each other, look at what Paul said in uh, 2 Corinthians 10-12. You have it there on your notes and it's on the screen. He says, oh, don't worry. We, we wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. But they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as a standard of measurement. Read these next two words out loud with me. Ready, go. How ignorant. Paul says, how ignorant it is to compare yourself to someone else. How ignorant it is to compare someone else's highlights to your current day reality. In fact, the next thing you notice is this, number two, that comparing makes you feel superior or inferior. But neither one of those honors God. Comparing makes you feel superior or inferior, but neither of those attitudes honors God. Comparing might make you feel better than or less than, but neither one of those attitudes honors God. It's Mother's Day and your friend got a huge bouquet of roses and a massive box of chocolates and tickets to a Broadway show. And all you got from Bozo was a half-eaten box of Reese's with a handwritten card that said, I love you to pieces. <laughs> or you open up your Facebook feed and you see that a good friend of yours got engaged and OMG, look at the size of her ring. But the fool you're with can't even keep a job or you've been searching for Mr. and Mrs. Right. And it seems to be that you can't find them anywhere. And the opposite is true as well. Come on, be honest. You can compare yourself to someone else and think, well, at least I don't have it that bad, right? At least I'm in a better place than them. Comparing yourself makes you feel superior or inferior, and neither one of those attitudes honors God. I want us to read a passage of Scripture that is very powerful, and honestly, it's also a little funny if you read into it. Here's the amazing thing about the Bible. It's a real book, and it's with real characters, real people, and it shows us the good, and it shows us the bad, and it shows us the ugly. In fact, that's why I think that it's a powerful apologetic as to why, you know, this Bible, the Bible that we hold in our hands, is real and it's true. Because it doesn't sugarcoat anything or try to make anyone out to be better than they are. For example, John was one of Jesus' disciples. You may have heard, the, you know, the Apostle John, the disciple John. And some of the letters, he, he wrote a whole book of the Bible, one of the Gospels. He wrote a few letters in the Bible. He also wrote the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And when you read the Gospel of John, it's really interesting. And it's kind of funny because John, when he's talking about himself, he, he doesn't say John or I. He talks about himself in the third person. Uh, but beyond that, he refers to himself in relation to Jesus. He calls himself the one who Jesus loved. And so when you read his writings, when you read the book of John, he says, you know, oh, Peter, uh, oh, Matthew, oh, and the one that Jesus loved. And he's talking about himself. How cocky and arrogant, right? 
You know, in other words, he called himself, you know, he looked at himself and he figured himself to be Jesus' best friend and his favorite out of the 12. Pretty cocky if you ask me. Now, most scholars believe that there was some sort of competition or tension between Peter and John. These are two disciples, two of the, of the 12 disciples, of Jesus' disciples. And it kind of makes sense when you read into some of the writings in the New Testament. I want you guys to check out this passage in the book of John. And I, let me know if you see this little petty detail in here. John, about three times, he announces that he's faster than Peter. Three times in this passage. Let me give you guys some context. This is after the crucifixion, right? Jesus died on the cross. He paid for the penalty of the sins of the world, right? To forgive the sins, the only perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God. And Jesus' lifeless body is taken off, a tomb, off, of, off of the cross and he's placed into a tomb. Three days later, the disciples head to the tomb and they're expecting to see, you know, Jesus' body there. But instead, they find an empty tomb. And that's where we pick up the story in John chapter 20. And we're going to read a few verses from 2 on in these passages. It's in your notes and it's also on the screen. Here's what it says. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple. And here it is. The one who Jesus loved. Now, this is John writing about himself, right? Cocky John. Thanks a lot. We get the idea, John. And said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Verse 3. At that, Peter and the other disciple. Who's the other disciple? John. John. At that, Peter and the other disciple went heading out for the tomb. The two were what? They were running together. And the race is about to start. (laughs) On your mark. Get set. Go. The two were running together, but the other disciple, who's that? That's John, outran Peter and got to the tomb first. No, 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 poo-poo. We made it before you, Peter. We won. I'm faster than you. I made it. Stooping down, verse 5, stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Verse 6, then following him, Simon Peter also came. There's the second time. He's like, all right. Just in case you forgot, guys, Peter came in second. I beat him in the race. Following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloth lying there. Verse 8. The other disciple, this is John, who what? Who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw, and believed. Three times. How petty. This is John's subtle way of letting us know, hey, don't forget. I'm much faster than Peter. We won in leg race, right? We, I beat him to the tomb. Isn't that funny? It's also kind of a little sad, right? That, that in the Bible, that's there in John's letter. He wrote that. He wrote that. But it's also very relatable, isn't it? Because we're constantly comparing ourselves to one another. We're constantly sizing each other up, aren't we? If you continue reading, it almost seems like this banter goes back and forth between Peter and John. And in chapter 21, we read about a time that the disciples are out fishing and they haven't caught a thing. Now, this is after Jesus, you know, he's resurrected, he's appeared to them. But the risen Christ tells them from a distance, they're on a boat in the middle of the sea, fishing, haven't caught a thing all night. And the risen Christ tells them, hey, cast your net to the other side of the boat. And then the Bible says that they... They, they, they did what Jesus told them, and they caught such a large catch that they couldn't even haul the net into the boat. At that point, they realized that the person that they're talking to is Jesus. And Peter jumps into the water. You know, I don't know if he's like, well, you, you know, maybe John is faster than me on foot, but he's no way he's faster than me in water. He swims towards Jesus. And Jesus is having a barbecue on the beach, and he's preparing breakfast for the disciples. 
And that's when we read this next conversation between Peter and Jesus. It's a very intimate moment. And what you need to remember is that leading up to this conversation, you guys may remember, uh, Peter had made some cocky statements before Jesus' death. He said, he told Jesus, Jesus, even if everyone else abandons you, I ain't going nowhere. Them fools, they'll leave you in a heartbeat, but I ain't going nowhere, Jesus. I'm here with you. These losers may run, but I'm your ride or die. That's what Peter told Jesus. Of course, you know how the story goes. Jesus told Peter, hey, man, you're going to deny even knowing me before the rooster crows. And sure enough, uh, before the rooster crows, Peter denied Jesus three times, just as Jesus said he would. And so Jesus has this intimate conversation with Peter, and he asks Peter, this is, you know, after they catch all the nets, the disciples are coming in on the boat, and, and Peter swims to shore, he sees that it's Jesus, and they have this intimate conversation as they sit around the barbecue pit and frying up fish, and Jesus tells Peter, Peter, do you love me? And of course, Peter responds, Lord, you know I do. And Jesus goes on to say, then feed my sheep. Well, you guys know the story. Jesus goes and says this three times. Peter, do you love me? As a reminder of the three times that Peter had denied Jesus. And three times Peter says, yes, you know I do. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. In other words, the conversation was, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Then here's the task I'm giving you. Feed my sheep is what Jesus was telling them. And this is where we pick up the story in John chapter 21. You guys remember the little competition between John and Peter? All right, this is, we, we, uh, we pick it up in, in just a, a chapter or two later, and look what happens. This is verse 20 and 22. You guys have it in your notes. Remember the conversation. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Then feed my sheep. Verse 20. So Peter turned around and saw, okay, John, who did he see? The disciple Jesus loved. Obviously, Peter didn't write this, right? John wrote this about himself. He saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. Verse 21, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? What about this guy? You love him, right? So much. What about him? Verse 22, Jesus responds. He says, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Read this next part with me. Ready? Go. As for you, follow me. Would you guys underline the last part of verse 22? You see, Peter had received his assignment from Jesus, but he was too caught up and worried about what would be the deal for John. And Jesus' answer, Jesus' answer is quite direct in saying, what is it to you, Peter? Stay in your lane. Don't compare yourself to him. I've given you an assignment. I've given you a mission. Don't worry about, don't compare yourself to him. Feed my sheep. And here's what you need to understand. That we cannot do a good job at faithfully following Jesus if we're constantly comparing ourselves to someone else. We cannot be who he's fully called us to be if we're constantly peeking over our shoulder trying to compare ourselves to someone else. Why are we like this? Why do we do that? Why are we so prone to taking this attitude and falling into the trap of comparison? It's because we are fallen and sinful human beings. Our sinful hearts are constantly pulled into a direction away from the heart of God and onto ourselves and onto our pleasures and onto our likes and onto 
our sinful and selfish desires. We are sinful. And what you need to understand is that there are no external winds that can satisfy the brokenness and the void that we have on the inside. There's no external satisfaction. There's no uh, relationship. There's no amount of money. There's no bigger house. There's no great accomplishment or what have you that can quench the spiritual brokenness that we have inside. There's nothing on the outside that can satisfy you on the inside besides the God that created you. Which is why Paul said that comparison is so ignorant. It is worthless. And this is why you have to answer this very important question. Every single one of us in this room, we have to answer this question and we have to answer it correctly. Otherwise, we will be miserable and we will live our lives dissatisfied for the rest of our lives. And here's the question. You have it in your notes. And there's even a a couple of lines for you to jot in whatever you want there. Who or what is going to define my worth? Who or what is going to define my worth? Who or what is going to bring meaning? Who or what is going to bring significance to my life? Who or what is going to define your value? Can I be honest? I'm going, to ask, I'm going to ask you to be honest with yourselves with this question because the truth is that for some of us, we define our worth by the persona that we portray on social media. For some of us, we're, li- we're living for the applause and the approval of our friends or our family or our co-workers. We care more about what they think about us than what God thinks about us. For some of us, we're allowing our financial status to define our worth. Whether you have a lot or you have a little, whether you're rich or poor, it doesn't matter. For some of us, success or lack of success is what defines you know, our value. Our progress or lack of progress in life is what we look to determine our worth. They're both wrong. If you're a follower of Jesus, none of those things should be the source of your identity. The source of your identity, your value, the source of your worth does not come from any of those things. But instead, it's found in Christ. And if your answer to that question is anything or anyone other than Jesus, then you're running a race that you cannot win. Look at what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I would love for you guys to read uh, these two verses out loud with me. Read it with great uh, New Year's enthusiasm, right? Verse 1 and 2, Hebrews chapter 12. Read it with me. Ready, go. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. All right, you guys screwed up miserably, horribly. Let's read this out loud. Uh, This will be on your notes there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Is not there? Oh, no. All right, let me read it out loud. Let me read it out loud one more time then for you. Let me read it for you guys. You ready? Let us run. Listen to this. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes not on our circumstances, not on our situation, not on the difficulties, not on our lack, not on our surplus, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. The author of Hebrews says that we have a race that we're running. It's the race that lies before us. And when we look to the left and when we look to the right and when we look behind us, 
then we're likely to get deterred and get off of our lane. Instead, we should, the author says, keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep your focus on Jesus. Listen, listen, guys, don't compare yourself to others. Don't compare, don't look at someone else. Not even on how, other, how you think others are doing spiritually because that's, that's, that's crazy, that's hard, that's, that's madness as well. That's, it's easy to do that, to compare. Man, that person is so spiritual. They pray so much, they read the Bible so much. I wish I was like them and long and, and after that. That's, that's easy to do as well. But instead, realize that your worth, that your value and your identity is rooted and founded upon who you are in Christ. And if that's the case, then keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Listen, guys, it's a new year. Stay in your lane. What is God calling you to do? How is he challenging you to grow in 2020? We did a whole message on this last Sunday. Forget about your friends on social media. Don't compare yourself to everyone else. Keep your eyes on on Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team to lead us in one more song. And as we close, and as we partake in communion, I want to challenge you to consider God's faithfulness to you and to allow contentment to replace comparison. Comparison eats contentment for lunch. And we're going to let go of comparison. We're going to be content with what we have, or whether it's a little, whether it's a lot. We're going to learn to be content in any and all circumstances. And then as we partake in communion and as we remember Jesus' blood poured out for us and Jesus' body that was broken so that we might be made whole, remember that it is because of Jesus' life, it is because of his death and his resurrection that we have a new identity. We have a new identity not rooted in what we see around us but in who we are in him that we've been made children of God through Jesus. And so in a moment, we'll partake in communion together, and I'm going to invite you guys to to pray and to remember Jesus' sacrifice, His bloodshed, His body broken uh, for us so that our identity can be rooted in Him and not in, you know, what we see around us, our friends, our social media feeds, or the comparison trap, you know, that we so easily fall into, but that we are ultimately found, we find our identity and who we are in Him. I'm going to lead you guys in prayer, and the worship team will lead us in a song, and then you guys can get up and partake in communion as you feel led to. Let's pray. God, we are so easily led astray to compare, you know, what we have or do not have to those around us. And Lord, this can lead to a false sense of superiority or inferiority, and both of those attitudes are wrong. So Lord, I ask that you would forgive us And remind us that our value and our worth are rooted in who we are in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.